Good morning. What do you make of Good Friday then? We just sung Love So Amazing, So Divine, Demands My Soul, My Life, My All. You need to keep that in your mind actually, because we're going to return to that concept in a few minutes' time. 1 John 4 verse 10, Andy used it on Sunday. By the way, on Sunday, Andy preached a really good Good Friday sermon. And it's, it's just as well I'd been preparing something different to usual, or you'd have had the same stuff over again. Uh, but he used 1 John 4 verse 10, which says this. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you imagine, see in your mind's eye, the uh, battered, skin-ripped, and blood-soaked body of Jesus on the cross, you see a perfect picture of love. And that's astonishing, just astonishing. Real love is, is sacrificial. It's not about my rights or my needs. Real love is often ugly and beautiful at the same time. There's an old illustration my father used to use when he preached. Uh, he said it was a true story. I, I have no idea, to be honest. Uh, oh, I'm suggesting my father told lies. Uh, maybe he... Uh, thought it was a true story, maybe it was, but the story is told of uh, uh, a young mother with her little daughter growing up. And the daughter used to say to the mother regularly, Mummy, I love every bit of you except your hands. And her hands were desperately scarred. It wasn't until years later when uh, the truth could be told that the little girl discovered that uh, her mother's hands had been scarred when she had rescued the little girl from the fire that she'd fallen into. And the, the comment changed to, Mummy, I love all of you, especially your hands. Love is ugly and beautiful at the same time. And the love of God is ugly and beautiful at the same time. Beautiful because it comes from God, beautiful because it is of him and he is beauty, ugly because sin had to be dealt with and the only way sin could be dealt with was through the ugliness of the crucifixion. This is love. I don't know if you think that you love God this morning. I guess if we had a show of hands, those who come to Good Friday services are usually those who put the hand up to say, yeah, I love God. I wonder if you at home would put your hand up and say, out of God. Yeah, great, absolutely wonderful, uh, but that's not love. I mean, it is, but it's not, it's not the picture of love. It's not the, the model of love. It's not the ideal of love. Love is defined, in essence, by the sacrifice of Jesus. This is love. Jesus on the cross is the heart of Christian preaching. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that it's the message which is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified. 
Oh, yeah, we're, we're a resurrection and joy-filled people. Okay. But only because of the salvation won for us on the cross by the scandal and the offense of the crucifixion. So let me read it again. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So I want to ask a simple question this morning. How do we respond to that kind of love? We can never emulate it. It's impossible. The purity of God's love we can't match. But of course, the right answer is we should respond to God's love by loving God. Ordinary, uh, frail, insecure, messed up people that we are sometimes. God wants us to respond by loving him. So, obviously we respond humbly. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve that God should love me. I don't deserve that Jesus should go to the cross for me. I never could deserve that. We respond to it penitently with, with a sense of regret and repentance. Uh, I want to turn from doing life my way. My way, to quote an old song, never has worked. And I want to do it your way, God. We should respond gratefully. Uh, I, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful, God, for all you've done for me. Thank you, thank you. It, it's astonishing, it's amazing. And the problem is we don't always thank God enough because we lose sight of exactly what he's done for us. But as soon as we grasp it again, that spirit of gratitude has to well up within us. And of course, we respond in faith. We respond or ought to respond by putting our trust in this savior, in Jesus, in the one who hung and bled and died for you and me. But what does that look like in reality? Uh, again, on Sunday, Andy used uh, Romans 12. This is what Paul says in response to the love of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, li as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Not conforming to the world's ways, not conforming to the standards we see around us, we make ourselves wholly available. We used to sing it, didn't we, um, some of us? Here I am wholly available, as for me, I will serve the Lord. And yet, you, because you're a human being, and me, certainly, know fine well that we've sung that many times, and then lived out a slightly different version of it. Lord, I want to be wholly available, but I, but I, keep, I keep creeping back, or as somebody has said, the problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. 
and we have to crawl back again. Here I am, Lord. And Good Friday, what better time than Good Friday? Good Friday, here we are. Lord, as I see in my mind's eye again, you on that cross, the, the depth, the, the level of that love makes you want to come and say, here I am, here I am. The other thing it looks like in real life, to use a cliche when rubber hits the road, is what Jesus said in, in Luke 9, 23. He said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole, uh, the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the, and of the holy angels. As I've said many times, uh, probably from this lectern as well, um, the cross God asks us to carry is always something we have a choice about. You know, your bunions are not your cross that you have to bear. Uh, anything you have no choice about is not what this is talking about. To take up the cross that Jesus would have us carry is simply a way of saying we would take up whatever his will is for our lives and gladly embrace it. Is it worth? Is it worth losing everything we have in Jesus just to preserve what we think is our rights to our own way of living? I don't think so. So whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever we have to suffer, that's what God would have us do. And, and one other thing in, in, in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says this, a, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, whoa, as I have loved you, love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, I need to take this right back again, because if we're not careful, we begin to turn the essential truth on its head. And we begin to focus, and to some extent we have to, on our love for God again. Lord, I love you. Yes, I do. I really do. I know it's imperfect, but I do. Yes, that's good. But that is not the defining reality of love. The defining reality of love is that God loves you and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for your sin. Whenever we think of our response and whenever we think of what God wants of us, we must always place him back in that place where he belongs as, as the, def the definition of all things, really. Many years ago, uh, in 1974, 
47 years ago. Just before Easter 1974, I was at London Bible College, now the London School of Theology. I was 21. I had not long been married. We're not, not a whole year into marriage. And the London Bible College Male Voice Choir had their second Easter, well, their second tour at, the Easter, at Easter time. We'd done one in 73, and this was 74. It was a little bit different because some of the choir that had sung the year before had decided not to sing that year because it was, they were in my degree group and that was finals year and they were studying hard. And I was the only one of the degree group who thought, blow that for a lark, it's not worth it, I'm gonna sing. <laughs> and I, I wanna show you a picture of the choir. Hopefully it'll be up there any moment now. There they are, look. With this back to you conducting is Tim Buckley, who those of you who are older may have heard of. Uh, musician, used to play the violin at Keswick and uh, quite a character, lovely, lovely man. And he was the conductor of the choir and lecturer at London Bible College. Over his right shoulder, you will see me, age 21, with all the dark hair. Yeah. yeah. Those of you who have frequented Keswick over comparatively recent years may or may not recognize one or two others. Uh, the dark hair, page boy haircut next to the guy in the beard, that is Alistair Begg. Keswick speaker of some note, now well-known American church leader, Scottish really, but American citizen now, and uh, made quite a, a reputation to himself, a good Bible teacher. Back right, you have Steve Brady, also a Keswick speaker of some time, and then, uh, until he recently retired, principal of Morelands Bible College, seeking to get people trained and equipped for, for ministry. Over Tim Buckley's head, you'll see a guy with a beard. That's Leo Sandgren III. Yes, he is American. He'd lost a, a, a leg below the knee when training to go out to Vietnam. He never made it to Vietnam with the American Army. And we didn't know that until he came down to play table tennis one day, rolled up his trouser leg, took his false leg off, and screwed in his peg leg and played table tennis remarkably well. He went back to America. He's been lecturing in theology for a number of years. Now he's retired, and in his retirement, has volunteered to teach at a day school. The guy in the uh, waistcoat, that's Mick Chapman. <clears throat> he married one of the uh, kitchen staff at London Bible College. And within about five years of that photograph, had died of cancer. There is a point to all this, by the way. Peter Anderson is there somewhere. Uh, I think beside Steve Brady. Uh, Peter and Geraldine, he was South African. They became missionaries. Served the Lord in the mission field for many years. 
and on the front there with the beard is an amazing man called Frank Gamble, who was, <laughs> that's hard to know where to start with Frank. Uh, before he came to college, he uh, used to back various musicians, including Cliff Richard, astonishing guitarist, wonderful musician, <clears throat> good footballer. I had the joy of playing football with him and Alistair Begg and Steve Brady. But Frank <clears throat> uh, became involved with New Frontiers, became a church planter. But shortly, uh, within a couple of years of that photograph being taken, he began to develop a soup. And when they went to check it out, they discovered that he had a, a degenerative disease that was aff afflicting all his joints. And little by little, every joint seized up. And I think, I think he lived into his early 50s, but right until the end, from a wheelchair, with his wife having to do everything for him, but he could still speak. He was still preaching, and he was still planting churches. Now, what is it that these people have in common? There are others I could tell you about. Oh, we've got Jorgen Tarp on the end there in the blue jerkin thing. Danish businessman. He came to college for one year because he wanted to be better equipped to be a Christian businessman. What they have in common is this. Frailly and imperfectly, they were gripped by the reality of the love of Jesus. And they gave their lives, frailly and imperfectly, to serve him. Now, I'm not suggesting you have to become a principal of a Bible college or a missionary or whatever. I'm just asking the question this morning. What response does the love of Jesus require of you? Oh, don't get me wrong. Whatever response you make, you'll find it a battle. You'll find, find you fail sometimes. But the grace of God will keep coming back and you won't be able to escape him and you won't be able to escape that love because... Every time you're at your lowest point, that love will come storming back into your life. What will you do with the love of Jesus this morning?